Well, this morning we will take a pause in our series in Daniel, and we will have God's Word open us up to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now this is the Word of the Lord. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Judah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Lord, we truly ask today that you speak, Lord, that you renew uh, our minds, <clears throat> soften our hearts, Lord, uh, and may you, your spirit be among us, that we'd really hear the words that you have to speak, not that I have to speak, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you might ask why I chose this passage to preach on about some weird guy uh, who wears sackcloth and eats locusts and honey in the wilderness. And and we'll definitely get to that. Uh, It is definitely a passage that God put on my heart. But I think before we get to it, we have to really go back to the passage that says, in those days. And I think we have to look at what we're looking at when we say, in those days. So if we can pull up a timeline, and I apologize to everyone who's ever been in Bible study with me because I know that I love, like, history and timelines and maps. But I think it's important to define, like, who and what John was preaching to at the moment. And what I mean by that is we have to kind of look at Jewish history a little bit and see where we are in that and why John's message was important then and then important to us now. And so if you look way over here on the right on the timeline to the call of Abraham— right, the promise, that's in the year 20, around 2200 BC, right, so 2,000 years plus from where we are at John's preaching. And then you come forward and you look at all the things that the Israelites have been through after that call, right, they're slaves in Egypt, they're freed, they spend 40 years in the desert, they finally enter the promised land where they go through a bunch of kings and judges, they're exiled, right, to Babylon, and then they're brought back. And then you have all these prophets that come and speak to them, and the last one being Malachi, and right, right around 430, right? And after that, there's no prophets, right? And I just want to put that into perspective because imagine you're the audience for John the Baptist. The year is about 30, you know, after the, the birth of Christ. And it has been about 450 years since you've heard a prophet, Right? 2,000 years plus since God made that promise to Abraham, right? And that's kind of remarkable because we're talking about 40 or 50 generations from the call of Abraham to where we are today, you know, in the Word, where John the Baptist is there. 40 to 50 generations of people who have been faithful. And I think it speaks a lot more to God's faithfulness and the people's faithfulness But let me ask you a question. In 40 or 50 generations from today, will our descendants be this faithful, right? 
they hadn't heard from a prophet in 450 years. And to put that in perspective, in five years from now, the U.S. will be uh, celebrating its semi-quincentennial anniversary, 250 years. A full 200 years shorter than that. You know, I know some of us have trouble waiting two days for Amazon Prime shipping. Can you imagine waiting 450 years? And just to put it in even more perspective, you know, think about immigrants that come to the States. By the third generation, doesn't matter who you are, Italian, German, Korean, you name it, they lose the language, right? One of the cores of their culture, by the time that immigrants have come to the States, by the third generation, they lose the language. But here we are in 30 AD among the Jews, and over 2,000 years, they have remained faithful, right? They haven't heard from a prophet in 450 years, and they're waiting for a Messiah, right? And this is where John the Baptist enters. And think about it. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have smartphones with, their, with the Torah on it. Most of them didn't even have a copy of the Torah at the time. There's no printing press. A lot of them aren't literate. This is all passed down by word of mouth from family to family, generation to generation, And so, imagine waiting. Imagine you were a good Jew back in 30 AD, and you're waiting for the so-called Messiah. And you're probably sick and tired of hearing it. You're your parents, your grandparents. One day, a Messiah is going to come. One day. Yeah, you've been saying that for the past 400 years, you know, and you're, you're, you're sick and tired of it. And to this is what John the Baptist comes, right? In those days. This is the point where we're at. The Jews have been waiting over 2,000 years for a Messiah, And in this time, it's been over 400 years since they've heard from a prophet, right? And then the first prophet is John the Baptist, right? Isn't it a weird message that the first thing he says is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Shouldn't it be, hey, the Messiah is coming. He's the one that says, you know, John the Baptist says he's the one that's going to make the path straight, right? So how come his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand and not the Messiah is here? And just a couple chapters later in Matthew we see Jesus starts his ministry and he says the exact same words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you hear that and you wonder, you know, you would have to wonder as a Jew, why would they use that word? Why would that be the first message of the first prophet, repent, right? And I ask myself that, why would that be the first message? You know, you would be a Jew there saying, look, we've been faithful for 400 years. We haven't had a prophet. What do you mean repent? What, what, What do you mean by that? You know, did John come saying, you guys haven't gone to synagogue enough? You haven't read enough of the Torah? I I don't think that's what he meant. And I think we have to look at this word repent and not redefine it, but define it in a different way that we're thinking about it. Because I think, at least when I hear the word repent or when you think about it, it's about things, you know, do I feel bad about what I have or haven't done? And that's not what John the Baptist is talking about here. And that's not even the word they use. I'm not, you know, I'm not fluent in Hebrew or Greek, but... The word for repent in Hebrew is to turn back or to return. It's actually the turning, right? It's not feel bad about what you have or haven't done, right? Or if you look at the Greek word, it's to have your mind changed, right? To radically change your mind. And that's what John's talking about. So here we are in 30 AD waiting for a Messiah, and John preaches repent, right? And they're probably thinking, look, we've been faithful. We're studying the Torah. We rebuilt the temple. We've come back. What do you mean turn back to God, right? Like if, you, if we use that as a word, to return, right? So that inherently means that the people, they were not turned towards God, right? So what were they doing? Probably going about their daily lives, attending temple, 
having the festivals that they're supposed to, teaching the children the stories that they're supposed to teach. So why do these people need to repent, right? Why is John preaching that message? And how is that applicable to us? And I think John was preaching that message, and Jesus is preaching that message, as we see as they came, is because, you know, they might have been doing the right things. They might have been going to synagogue. They might have been going through the motions. But, you know, their, their hearts were far from God. And when Jesus preaches about it, you know, he talks about their hearts being far from God. And I would argue that 2,000 years later here, as we're waiting for his return, you know, our hearts are still far from him. You know, we may be going through the motion, coming to church, attending CG, you know, doing the things we know to be true, and we hear the word repent, and maybe your mind travels to, like, the Ten Commandments, and you think, well, you know, I'm not murdering anybody, I haven't lied, I, you know, I, I'm not committing adultery, I'm coming to church on Sunday, I, you know, I, I think I'm doing okay. What do you mean repent? What do you mean turn back? And what I mean is that, you know, we always forget the first commandment, or the greatest commandment. You shouldn't have any other God before me, right? Or do you love your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul. Because, you know, I'm going to be honest for myself. It's not just us. It's, it's us is that, you know, do we really love God like that? And, you know, I would, I would hate to say, I think, just like when John came to the Jews, they were doing the right things, but their hearts were far from God. And I would argue that today is the same. You know, it's funny. One of the things I always laugh at at this church, you know, because we're Presbyterian, is we joke around about how, like, oh, you know, we don't really worship because we're Presbyterian. You know, we're not charismatic. We don't worship. But I, I don't buy that for a second because we were built to worship. We were built to, to love things. I think that's why we have celebrities. And, you know, you don't have to teach people how to worship. You know, you see a bunch of us guys at a sports game, and there's no telling them to worship, right? You see them with their hands up singing fly, eagles, fly, right? Or after the, the eagles win the Super Bowl, we are the champions, right? No shame. Hands up in the air. We are the champions. But in church, it's like, I love you, Lord, right? And my point is not repent for not singing louder in church. It's not repent for not worshiping like that. What I'm trying to say is that when you love something, when something is important or exciting to you, you don't have to try right? You don't have to be told to worship. At the Eagles game or a concert, you don't have to be told to raise your hands and sing out loud. You do it because you love it, right? And, and my question to you this morning is, what do we love? What do we really, really love? Like, what's at the top of our list? Not what we say, but what's at the top of our list? You know, I was listening to, they were interviewing this uh, life coach on NPR. She had written a book and, you know, the, the host was asking her, non-Christian, she was just talking about how she coaches people. And the question was, you know, when you first meet people, how do you determine, you know, where, where do you start? And she said something very simple. She said, you know, I don't even ask them what's important to them. I don't even ask them what they want. I say, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. And she said, with those two things, I know what's important to that person. You know, and this morning I ask you, I mean, it's a tough question. And at first I thought about it, I was like, really, is it that simple? Show me your calendar and your checkbook. And, I, and the more and more I thought about it, it is. It's not about, you know, where, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your effort? Because that's where our heart is. Where our, our treasure is, that's where our heart is. You know, those are the things we spend time on. And I asked you this morning, is your treasure with God? You know, do we love him or do we love the things of this world? You know, and I'll be the first to confess, you know, 
I love the things of this world. You know, on a Sunday morning, am I getting ready? You know, the things that we get ready for, the things that we love, entertainment. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, our, our family has loved that new series, Loki, and, you know, a new episode came out every Wednesday. We would, like, look forward to it. We'd be like, oh, is it Wednesday yet? You know, we would talk about the prior episodes. We would, like, prepare to watch it together as a family. You know why? Because we love entertainment. Because we love that show, Loki. You know, on Sunday, do we come to church with that kind of expectant heart? So when, when you hear that word repent, it's not about what we do or don't do. It's not about, oh, come to church on time, oh, prepare, feel bad about that. That's not what repent is. It's about turning back to God. It's about the condition of our heart. That's my question is, do we love God like that? Do we put him above all else? You know, we may not have golden calves that we worship before. We may not have these other things. You know, you say, have no other gods before me. You're like, I'm in church. I'm not worshiping Buddha. I'm not bowing down to these other things. But what is it that our heart really seeks, is seeking satisfaction in? You know, I'm like everyone else. You want to read the Bible and you go, oh, it's so boring. Man, it's so tough to read. These, you know, these verses, you want me to memorize it? But the funny thing is, is whatever hobby or thing you're into, we could dump hours into reading about, like, the most minute things. Why? Because we love it, right? I mean, I know that a bunch of, you know, that the pastors and a bunch of the officers lately, we've all gotten into biking, and it's funny. It's like we, we know the most ridiculous details about bikes, right? Like, you know, you'll ask, like, oh, is that the, this model? Isn't that, like, 452 grams lighter than that model? And it has this gear and this spec, and we memorize all these things, and we can spend hours on Google researching that, right? Hours. But read the Bible? Man, that thing's boring. That thing's tough to read. Have you ever seen Deuteronomy? Have you tried reading that? But my point is not, repent, let's confess, oh, Lord, I haven't read the Bible. The issue is not, we're not reading the Bible. The issue is not about what we do or don't do. It's about what we love, right? It's about what's important to us. And if it's important to us and we truly love it, then we put it above other things. Because love makes things easy. You know, you do crazy things. I know uh, some people have recently gotten married, engaged. You know, you hear about some of these engagement stories, and they're great. You know, they're great. These guys do these crazy things to, you know, propose. Why? Because they love that person that they want to marry. Right? It's not hard to ask them to do those things. And so, you know, as we think about what John was saying to the Jews and this morning, what, you know, the word says to us, I ask, where's our heart? Like, where's our treasure? Right? Where are the things that are important to us? You know, Friday CG group, I, I'm with you. There are times it's like, man, do I really want to dial in this remote? I'm, I'm tired of staring at a screen. But at the same time, if I don't show up, what do I do? I'm like, oh, what am I going to binge watch on that same screen? Because right? we love entertainment. We love the things of this world, but do we love God? Do we love him? Do we have no other gods above him? You know, do we love him with all our heart, all our mind, all our souls? And so just like when John came to these Jews who were doing the right thing, going through the motion, waiting for the Messiah, I think that's why his first message was repent. And again, it's not repent, feel bad about the things you have or haven't done. Today's message is not about, oh, feel bad because I didn't show up for CG, or feel bad because I didn't prepare for Sunday service. It's not even about that guilt or feel bad. That word is to return to God, to turn away from these other things that have captured our heart 
and to have God capture our heart again. And it's difficult. You know, it's difficult because there's so many things here that are tempting, that draw us, that pull at our hearts, and our hearts are so fickle. And, you know, the proof is really in the pudding because God doesn't want us to repent because he needs us. It's because he knows we need him. You know, my point is that, sorry, if we can go to the, the verse, you know, when Jesus comes, he talks about being the good shepherd. In John 10, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, God's desire for us to turn to him is not so that we have to give up these other things, that these other things are bad. He doesn't want us to live this ascetic lifestyle so that we have to wait and wait and wait until we get to heaven. The second part of John the Baptist's message was because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God came to give us a taste of the kingdom now, to have joy and happiness now, not to suffer, not to miss out, not to have all these things that we can or cannot do, but to really discover our joy in him, to have life and have it abundantly. Because all these other things that we're chasing— yeah, you know, they lead to temporary happiness. You know, whether it be money, success, achievement, you know, you name it. You, know, you get something suddenly, a new whatever, bike, car, new job, new achievement, you graduate. It brings happiness for sure. But then how quickly that fades. You know, how quickly there's against that sense of emptiness and that you're hungry again. You know, you're looking for the next thing. You know, maybe you reach this goal in life, and then suddenly you're longing for that next goal, that next thing, it has to be bigger. We go on vacation, and then we have a great experience. You come back, like, oh, I have to return to my life. When's my next vacation, right? Like, you, you hunger for something more. Whatever it is, we're hungering for more. And let me tell you, that hunger will never be filled. You know, if we can go to the next slide, you know, Jesus says again, in John, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know, repentance, turning back to him again, it's not about rules. It's not about being sorry for what we have or have not done. It's about turning to God because he is the bread of life, because he is the living water, because he's the only thing that's really going to satisfy. And I'll give you the proof is in the pudding. You know, we look at some of the people that we've lost over this past year, people who may have looked like they had it all, who had a great life. You know, Anthony Bourdain, traveling the world, having a leading show, success, fame, you know, getting to meet great people. You looked at his life and you might have thought, wow, what a life. I would love to live it, love to travel the world, eat the things he ate, meet the people he met, go the places he got to go. Let me ask you then, why did he commit suicide? You know, what was he searching for? He was constantly searching for more, that next experience. You know, Kate Spade, a household name. She basically won every, you know, fashion award there is. Married, had a beautiful daughter, very wealthy after selling her empire. Again, you know, I ask, why did she commit suicide? You know, you always hear it on the news. These people who end up taking their own life, they look like they have it all. Success, fame, good looks you know, travel. They got the life of envy, right? And why do they take their own life? You know, that's the question everyone has, why? You know, the media always asks, why? Why? Right? And I would say it's because, you know, it's always depression. They're sad about stuff, you know, but they had a deep emptiness. 
despite exploring all these things, all these things that the world had to offer, despite achieving these things, you know, there was a deep emptiness to the point where, unfortunately, you know, they killed themselves. Right? I mean, there's other influencers this year, some names, you know, some you may know or not know. You, you know, you wonder why. Why are they taking their life when it looks like they have everything? Because they may have achieved these things, but there's a deep emptiness inside. Right? And that's why God calls us to repent him, because he wants to give us life to the full. He wants us to never thirst. He doesn't want to take these things away and replace it with something worse. He wants to replace it with something better. He wants to give us a joy that the world cannot understand, a peace that the world cannot understand. And I'll give you the flip side of it. Look at some of our missionaries. Look at Louisa, who came to talk a couple months ago. Look at John Lee. Look at Hannah. You know, they may not have two pennies to rub together. The world may not know their name. You know, they may worry about where they're going to get funding. But tell me, do they look unhappy? Have you, you know, I know we haven't seen her in a while, but Dr. Bell, who's in her 90s. I mean, they're human. I'm sure they worry about missing out on things on this earth. But do you think Dr. Bell, at the end of her life, is like, man, I really regret following Jesus. I really regret giving my life. I really regret not being richer or achieving these other things or fame. You know, John, who's young, Louisa, who's young, Hannah, who's young. Do you ever hear them say, man, I really wish I had gotten that PhD or gotten that job? You know, they have a deep satisfaction with nothing because that is found in Christ. So this morning, you know, as as John the Baptist preached to those Jews and said, repent. It's not a repent. I mean, yes, there's a component of repentance. That's the sorrow for things we have done. But the repent that John was talking to the Jews who were waiting for the Messiah was return. Return to God. Put him first on that list. And just like the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be given unto you. He doesn't want us to live this life where we have to give all these other things up. He wants to replace it with something so much better. And so this morning, it's the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if, you know, it's hard, because I just talked about how we don't love God, right? About how we love all the things of this world. And I'm the same as any of you. I mean, trust me. I don't spend all my hours reading the Bible or in prayer. I love the things of the world just as much. So how do we repent? You know, how do we love God more? And one of the first things we have to do is we have to ask for his help. You know, in, in the Psalms, so if you, next slide, you know, King David, a man that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, right? They describe no one else like that, King David. Even he says, create in me a clean heart. In the Psalms, he cries out, God, create in me a clean heart. And I think it's the same thing this morning. It's not something that we can do by strength or by effort. You know, I, I know in sermons, you always want to get to the application. What's the application? What's the application? Oh, I got to repent. I got to love God more. How do I do that? You got to ask God. Because even that's how sinful we are. That is hard to love him. Our hearts are so fickle. And repentance is not a one-time thing like confession. It's not like you go into the confessional booth and go, God, I'm sorry that I haven't put you first. Because you know what? You're here today and we repent and tomorrow our heart again is torn apart, you know, distracted by something else. And it's a continual thing of returning to him, of returning to him, of returning to him because he's the source of life. You know, so number one, we have to ask. And number two is, how do you fall in love with anybody? 
I mean, sure, looks matter, you know, those things matter, but whether it be in real life, whether it be in a book, whether it be in a movie, whether it be in a TV show, you know, what makes you love a character or a person is as you get to know them, as you get to know their character, right? It's that's what draws you in. And if we want to know how to love God, I think the more we learn and understand, not read the Bible just to read it, but learn about the character of who he is, that he's not the God that sits up on high judging us, that's saying, repent, be sorry for this, be sorry for that, you broke this rule, you broke that rule. He's the God who's up in heaven who says, you know what, they can't bridge this gap, so I'm going to bridge it. I'm going to send my son to bridge that gap for them. He's not the God that waits there and says, you come to me. You get holy, you fix your life, you come to me. He is hunting us down with an undying love. And I think the more we understand and read the Bible and hear the stories in Daniel or whatever book it is and learn about his character, our hearts can't help but be turned to love him. The more we understand the good news of the gospel, that the God of heaven, that the creator of this world doesn't sit there up on high to judge us, but because he loved us, he came to us, became one of us, sacrificed his one and only son for us, so that we could be together, not for his benefit. He doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. So this morning I ask you, you know, will you repent with me? Will you return to God with me? Will you confess about all the other things that we put above him with me? And ask just like King David, you know, create in me a clean heart. Will you get to know him? Listen to the stories on Sunday in CG Group and when you read the Bible and learn of his character and grow deeper in love. Because then the Christian walk is easy. It's not a thing of rules. You know, any relationship, there's, there, there's no relationship on earth that's like that in a marriage or a friendship. You know, I don't go to my wife and think, okay, I got to love her. So what are the things she likes? What are the things I have to do? Okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. No, I love her so I do those things, right? It's a pleasure. It's easy. It's not hard. So I asked this morning, will you again with me return back to him? Will you put him first? Will we repent together and say, God, you know, I have not put you first. I have put all these other things first. Help me to put you first. And again, not for God's benefit, for ours. And there's another group I, I want to talk to you. I mean, maybe this morning you came to church and you already feel crushed. You know, you feel the weight of sin. And the last thing you want to hear is some guy who says, repent. Great. Thanks, Tom. I came already feeling bad, and now you say, repent. And you know what I'm going to say is the same words, repent. Not repent to feel bad about what you have or haven't done, but turn back to God and change your mind. Because the one big thing here is church is not a meritocracy, right? And what I mean by that is it's not about what we can do. It's not about what we have done. It's not about how righteous we are. That's not what gets us to the door. It's what God has done. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, whether you're an elder, whether you're a deacon, whether you've been to church for 20 years or today's your first day at church. The same thing that gets us to approach God is not our righteousness, our ability, our knowledge of the Bible, how many years we've been going to church, but it's one thing and one thing only, and that's the blood of Jesus. It's his righteousness which we claim to. So if today you feel oppressed, let's just say you feel guilty, you feel downtrodden and poor in spirit, that's not God talking. That's Satan the accuser. Because you know when God looks at us, 
He doesn't see us and our sin and our dirtiness. Again, he doesn't say, clean your life up and then come to me. He said, come just as you are. Just as you are. I love you because I love you. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved the people who obeyed him, the people who went to church, the people who followed all the rules. It says, for God so loved the world. That's whosoever believeth, whosoever trusts in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, we think about, you know, especially for us, a lot of us who have grown up Asian, you know, we, we have this idea of merit. Our parents have always looked at other people, you know, look at what they're doing. Look what they've achieved. Look how much money they have, their car, the house. And that thing spills over into church. You know, you might look at someone else and say, oh, look how much Bible knowledge they have or how long they've been going to church or how holy they are. That doesn't matter. God doesn't, you know, if we could achieve holiness, if we could approach God on our own, then we wouldn't need Jesus. And the reason we need him, maybe you're sitting there feeling like you're worthless or you're a sinner. Here's a plot twist. We all are. From the top to the bottom, from the pastor to whoever we are, we're all sinners. We all need him. Desperately. And if anything, we've forgotten how much. And so to you, again, same thing, repent. Turn back to him. It's not about our ability to do things. It's about God's ability to do things. Will you put your trust in him today and repent and turn back to him? Will you change your mind about what holiness is? Because what we rest on is not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. So any excuse that's in your head this morning, you know, maybe you think, oh, I'm too young. How can God use me? I'm too young. You know Daniel that we've been studying? When he got pulled to Babylon, he's a teenager. You know this Daniel that the first dream that he interprets for Nebuchadnezzar? He's a teenager. They don't know his exact age, you know, you know they, but he's a teenager. He wasn't some master dream teller. He's, I'm Daniel, I interpret dreams. He's a scared kid, teenager. But what does he do? He puts his trust in God. He doesn't go, oh, I'm good at interpreting dreams. I've got this skill. He doesn't go, I'm too young. You know what he does? He tells his friends, he goes, pray for me. He goes, pray for me that I figure out how to interpret this dream with God's help. And it wasn't his age. It wasn't his skill. He didn't have some magical talent that God needed. All he did was he put his trust in God, and look what God did. You know, maybe you're on the other end. I'm too old. I'm too washed up. I'm too tired. You know, when God made the promise to Abraham that he would have more descendants than stars in the sky— an angel comes to him and Sarah when he's 100 years old and says, you're going to have a kid next year. It's so ridiculous that Sarah laughs at it, right? I'm too old, old for God to use me, too washed up. What if Abraham said that? Next year, Isaac was born. You know, the beginning of, of the entire, you know, Israel. You know, maybe you say, I'm too sexually broken, you know, I, I encourage you to read Joshua. There's a story about Rahab, who was a prostitute, a Canaanite, not even a Jew. She put her trust in God, and God saved her and her family and the Jews through her. You know, maybe you say, I don't have enough knowledge of the Bible. I don't know enough. You know, when Peter and John in Acts are preaching so boldly, and they go into the Sanhedrin, what the Bible says about them it says the Pharisees and Sadducees were astonished. What were they astonished for? Because these were uneducated, common men. But they had been with Jesus. 
See, it's not about what we can do. It's not about our talent. God doesn't need us. You know, you may think that you're mired in sin, that you're worthless. The only thing he needs for us to do is to trust in him. You know, maybe you're like, I hate the church. I hate what it's done. How can I serve here? May I remind you that the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was once Saul. The guy who sat there while they were stoning Stephen. That on the road to Damascus, what was he doing? He hated the church so much, he was hunting down Christians to put him in prison. To basically have him beaten. That's what he was doing. That's how much he hated the church. So there's no excuse. You know, when I, if, if you're feeling oppressed, like you're a sinner, like God can't use you, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God has done and what he can do if we put our faith in him. And lastly, you know, for you know, anyone here who's not a believer, you know, I invite you this morning to also turn to him. Put your trust in him. You know, if you've been hearing the word for a while, and, you know, today you're ready to put your trust in Jesus, that you're willing to come to him and say, look, I've been chasing all these other things, but, you know, I want to believe today. You know, turn to him today and pray. Grab any of the elders, the pastor, the officers, the person you came to church with. We'd be happy to pray with you. We'd be happy to walk with you if you begin to walk today. So with that, you know, just like John the Baptist said to the Jews, it's the same message. You know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this morning I ask you not to feel good or bad about what we have or have not done. But will you with me repeatedly repent, turn back to God this morning? You know, love him more. Put him first. Ask for his help to put him first. Because the things that he could do with a church full of people that would love him the things that he could do if we were a church that loved him. You know, will you this morning with me in prayer take a little bit of time to confess and to repent? Uh, let's pray. in prayer this morning as I you know as we just heard will we return to God we put him first we put our trust in him and not in ourselves will we remember his character we will, will we remember our first love and rediscover that joy and peace in him Lord, we give you thanks this morning that what it is that gives us the ability to approach and worship you 
It's not our own righteousness that we rest on, but that of Christ. Lord, we give you thanks that with his precious blood, that you see us as white as snow. Lord, that you look not at our righteousness, but that of Christ, imputed on us, and that we are free from those sins, Lord, if we would just put our trust in you. This morning, Lord, we confess that our hearts have been distracted by so many things. Lord, there are so many things in this world that we love above you, that we put first before you, that we honor before you. And we confess that we need your help, even, Lord, just to love you. So we ask that you help us this morning, Lord, to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. Not for your sake, Lord, but for ours, that we may experience life to the fullest, that we may have the joy of fellowship with you, Lord, that we may have the peace that the world cannot understand. We give you thanks that you are in control, that you are the author and perfecter of the faith, our faith, that our walk and our faith doesn't depend on our strength or our ability, our skill or the things we can or cannot do, but really solely just depend on you. Lord, this morning, we just say that we need you, or we need you in every bit of our life. May you be with us, may you fill us, may you transform our hearts and minds. And Lord, may repentance not just be a one-time thing, but Lord, may it be a daily returning to you, because our hearts are so fickle, they're so prone to wander. We give you thanks, and in Jesus' name we pray.